episode of the ESG Beat, we will speak with Sylvia Garrigo, the Vice President of Corporate Responsibility and Social Investment for Millicom, an international information technology company. Sylvia has more than 20 years of experience advising multinational companies on sustainability. In today's episode, Sylvia will address how companies can integrate ESG considerations into enterprise risk management. Welcome to the ESG Beat, Sylvia. Thank you, Amelia. I'm really happy to be here. As you know, I'm a big fan of the Business and Society Institute. Um, I think that the work that the Institute does is so important, not only for business, for but for society at large. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for for your support and for for the work that you've been doing to advance sustainability and ESG, a space in which you've been a thought leader for a very long time. And today I'd like to focus on your role at Millicom and really have the audience gain an appreciation for the sustainability uh, as a process and how that process unfolds. Um, But before we get into the weeds, can you tell us a little bit more about what Millicom does and its size and scale? Sure. So Millicom provides fixed cable and mobile communication services in emerging markets. And for that, we provide high-speed broadband, mobile communication services, and internet services to more than 52 million customers, primarily in Latin America and in some African markets under the brand Tigo and Tigo Business. So now let's turn to your role. How does that role fit within other functions at Millicom, um, you know, including legal, risks, compliance, public policy, and communication? So the sustainability team is responsible for designing and implementing sustainability policies and practices, which contribute to business value, societal progress, and environmental protection. We think that these three aspects are intertwined. So, you know, sustainability in and of themselves, you know, have to contribute and support business growth, revenue, and reputation. They must make positive contributions to the markets and communities in which we operate. And they must sustain the natural resources and the environment on which our life depends. In order to achieve this, we have to work in a multidisciplinary manner across the company's operations and with all the different functions to integrate sustainability issues into our strategy, our governance, risk management, and target setting process. So to be effective, to be most effective, sustainability has to be defined and measured by specific goals and targets, just like any part of the business, and has to work throughout the company with legal, IR, procurement, HR, compliance, um, regulatory teams, um, to, to name a few. The days of standalone sustainability functions are over, in, whereas in, when sustainability started, it was mostly marketing and design to publishing and, and, you know, annual reports. It is a fully integrated function these days. That's because um, the way I've described it as being tied to revenue growth and and risk management, they're inseparable from um, issues that are run by other functions, such as reducing greenhouse gases, protecting data privacy and security, managing supply chain risks, and achieving the contributions to 
the sustainable development goals. These, this, this kind of reality can only be addressed with a more structured approach for identifying and managing sustainability issues through internal cross-functional coalitions and also externally um, through um, stakeholder engagement. So what I've appreciated so much about our conversations in the past is that you've really articulated sustainability as a process and specifically as a process for uh, you know, identifying opportunities and, and overseeing risks. And I'd like for our audience to appreciate the different steps of that process. So let's move into the weeds a little bit and I'd like to ask you to um, articulate how you define the sustainability process and then to map out some of the steps. Sure. So, so the sustainability process involves five um, steps or, or at a very high level, it involves five you know, areas. The first is a materiality assessment. The second is the creation of a strategic plan with specific goals, KPIs, and targets. The third is measuring and managing progress against the plan. The fourth is reporting and disclosure. And the fifth is stakeholder engagement. So with that overview, um, it seems that the materiality assessment is at the heart of the sustainability process. Would you agree with that? Yes, I do. It's, it's, a, it's a great starting point. So can you walk us through what is a materiality assessment? What are the steps of that process? All right. In a materiality assessment, essentially what we do is weigh the materiality of relevant sustainability issues in terms of their impact to business value and their importance to stakeholders. And we do that by inviting in both internal and external stakeholders to provide us input um, on these issues. So in reality, what we do is speak to the full suite of employees in our company who have subject matter expertise or day-to-day -day functional accountability for social and environmental issues that are embedded in their line of business, as well as talking to executives who manage the larger picture of strategy, risk management, and targets. So what is the next step in the process? So a company goes through the materiality assessment, which broadly unfolds in these three stages. Um, and what do they do next? So what we do, it, 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 there's like three stages. So, so first we look at, um, you know, by experience, we, we know what the, the, the relevant sustainability issues are with respect to our company and our industry and even global issues that are impacting um, all business. And so we look at those, the full gamut of issues, environmental, social, and governance that are relevant to our operations, our products, our service and markets. And also we look at where the company is in a distinct position to make a positive contribution to society or the environment. So while sustainability um, depends on having a, a solid groundwork of legal compliance and risk management, the strategic value of it really depends on looking forward to current and emerging risks. So that's the first step, locking in your issues. The second step is engaging key internal decision makers and, and, and subject matter experts who have direct knowledge of strategic business priorities, local market issues, as well as engaging external stakeholders 
who have intimate knowledge of local conditions, the state of civil society, and current social environmental issues. These fi the findings of, of all of our discussions are plotted in a matrix that depict each issue's impact on business value and importance to stakeholders. That's the second step, which is a deep dive with internal and external stakeholders. The third is actually taking that matrix because you want to test it. You, 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 now you've drawn your conclusions on from the most impactful to business and the most impactful to, to or most important to stakeholders. And you really want to test that box along with all the different other boxes um, with your internal stakeholders and conduct a gap assessment of your existing issue or risk management systems and your focus areas that you have in your corporate responsibility strategy. So to give you an example, one thing that we would look at is meet with, or that we would do is meet with our colleagues in, who manage the enterprise risk management process. There, because we consider the likelihood and impact of, of different issues and, and risks and develop um, risk mitigation strategies, important that we have a, a proper process of identifying issues, developing mitigation strategies, and ensuring that we have the proper escalation processes to take these to you know the C-suite or to the board if necessary. Let's take one particular issue that you engage on with internal and external stakeholders. What's a key issue for Millicom that we can contextualize it? Data privacy. Um, so, so that's that's an issue that we work with legal um, because legal is not only up to speed of current but also emerging regulations, um, and we speak to our um, IT team uh, and to uh, uh, as well as our commercial teams to understand how are we protecting that data and how, if if at all, we are using um, customer data to advance um, business value or commercial interests. Once we have that clear internal picture, we also go outside and talk to um, external stakeholders and NGOs, regulators, um, and we also take part in multi-stakeholder initiatives like the Global Network, Network Initiative. Um, we take the learnings um, from those engagements and make sure that not only do we give it the, the, the right, um, you know, the right uh, ranking in terms of business value, but also the right ranking in terms of importance to stakeholders, which in this case um, is not really just the regulator or the, the, the NGO, you know, those folks either, the regulator, you know, is, is, is um, in charge of protecting the consumer with the right balance between national security and, and customer privacy. And the NGOs represent, um, you know, customers' interests. So in, at the end of the day, who we have to serve is the customer and to be able to be, you know, provide the, a level of trust and, and, and assurance that the way we do our business adequately protects customer privacy. And as I understand it, this process and part of the power of this process is that it's ongoing. 
right? It's continual. Yes, especially stakeholder engagement. It is a continuous process. It's very focused and targeted when we, on you know, a whole array of specific issues um, during the materiality process. But let's say with respect to the issues that are the most important in terms of business value or for our stakeholders, your stakeholder engagement program should be engaging internal and external stakeholders year-round on those issues. So I'd like to delve into this a little bit more deeply. You identified excessive screen time um, as a ish focus area, and then you developed a key performance indicator um, to train teachers and adolescents and children. Can you give us a sense of the scale of that KPI? Sure. So in our five-year plan, we have set targets of reaching 700,000 students, 70,000 teachers, and 200,000 um, families uh, with respect to our child online program. And the, the really exciting part of this goal is how we achieve it. Of course, we have an educational materials that are of educate, you know, the ministry has approved and so it is of scholastic um, caliber, um, but we deploy the program through our volunteer force. So it's a really wonderful way to get our workforce engaged with our communities. Um, we go out to the schools in, in numbers, I would say from 60 to 100, and employees go out in any one given trip and we go to the school and we provide the the courses to the the elementary school the the um, middle school as well as the high school levels so they're very different ways in which you teach those different ages and and so um you know we train our volunteers on not only you know, the educational content, but the social and emotional aspects of, you know, what the children and adolescents are facing um, in, with respect to the use of technology. So the reason why that example is so counterintuitive, because normally if a product is going to be limited, a corporate response might be to just simply wait for regulation. And you operate in so many different jurisdictions that that regulation is so localized, it might never come. So children and screen time, effectively, you're limiting your own market by limiting the use of your product or the responsible use or advocating for the responsible use of your product. Can you um, kind of set, shed some light uh, on how that makes business sense? Well, it, it, it makes business sense from a sustainability perspective. You know, we adhere to international norms that are considered best practices, and there is a UN declaration on child rights. UNICEF is, um, is deputized with the implementation of the principles in that declaration. Um, but it, it, so I think it, it's good practice to follow, um, you know, good, responsible corporate behavior with respect to your entire consumer base. And you're right, in, in our jurisdictions, you don't necessarily see legislation aimed at protecting children specifically in the virtual world. There's, you know, a lot of 
criminal regulate criminal regulations that deal with um, sexual predators and 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 all the different dangers. Um, but once it moves to the online world, I think it really takes a village, uh, not just the authorities, but it takes a village and and companies are within that village to do the the right thing and the responsible thing. How does that translate into um, business value? Well, this is a company that is, is, is very committed to working alongside with our communities and our customers. We're not there just to sell a product and to provide a service. We're there to accompany them and to make it a, a positive and productive experience. And if we make that a positive and productive experience for them, that turns into a, a, a very productive experience for the company. Not only you build a good brand, but you increase business. Sylvia, thank you so much for that example. It really contextualizes how you uh, manage uh, social risks. So I'd like to just uh, recap the different stages of the sustainability process. Can you quickly recap those for us? Sure. So, so the first process is, is really um, delving into your materiality assessment. Once that assessment is, is, is completed and you have a good sense of the issues that are significant for stakeholders as well as that, that those that contribute to business value, you look at those and you make sure that your corporate responsibility strategy and focus is includes those issues. The second step is setting goals, setting a strategic plan, which includes KPIs and targets. The third step is managing those goals. So you need to be constantly measuring your progress against the plan um, and ensuring that you are reaching the objectives that that um, you set out to do. And usually, they're they're long term. I mean, long term plans measured. Um, and reported annually, um, which takes me to the next step, the fourth step, which is reporting and disclosure. Um, we have both qualitative and quantitative um, uh, uh, data that we provide in our reporting. Um, but more specifically, in terms of progress against our plan, we have a performance benchmarking um, the report, which uh, tracks every goal and, and target um, that uh, was achieved in that year. And then lastly, the, the fifth um, component, and which is an ongoing component, not just a part of the materiality assessment, is stakeholder engagement. Um, the company really wants to be um, in a position where it has an ongoing um, in, engagement program with both internal and external stakeholders. Thank you so much. That was a very helpful overview of how the sustainability process works in practice. I wanted to spend a few minutes discussing the present moment. Um, we can't forget that we are recording this interview in the midst of a global pandemic. How has Millicom's investment in the sustainability process allowed you to navigate this crisis? Well, it, it, um, we've looked at it in, in kind of in a 100,000 foot view and, and then um, in specific actions that we've had to take. So in, 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 in a great respect, the pandemic has accelerated trends and sustainability goals that were already reshaping business. But at the same time, 
it's opened all of our eyes to the state of denial on the potential of a crisis that can have severe and interconnected impacts to the health and economic well-being of the markets where we operate and to just about everyone on this planet. So when all of that came to a screeching halt, um, we had to figure out, okay, step number one is business continuity. And for us, business continuity is really um, involved in the digital transformation of businesses and individuals' ways of life. So during the pandemic, everyone had to move from the physical world to the virtual world in just about every aspect of their life and work. They had to access digital information and, and they're buying food and transacting business and selling products and, and services through online um, platforms. And this is our core business. So our business purpose is to build digital highways that connect people, improve lives, and develop communities. That is our, not only our business purpose, but it is at the center of our sustainability strategy. This took on greater importance because our digital highways were the only way people and business had access to the physical world. But most of our programs depended on face-to-face -face work and face-to-face -face travel. So we had ourselves transform ourselves um, and, and the way we work on a number of, of fronts. And we did this not only vis-a-vis -vis our customers, but also did this vis-a-vis governments. We are, our, our channels, for example, were made available to send mass communications from governments to its citizens regarding health alerts, infection information, and stay-at-home orders. Our flagship programs, like the one that we just spoke about on online safety and empowering women, we had to move those to virtual um, programs. We doubled down on our efforts to bridge the divides between impacting um, uh, that impacted digital and financial inclusion. Um, it's, it, those two came hand in hand um, because in one respect, our services were used to transmit government subsidies to, to uh, its citizens. In many of our markets, you have unbanked um, citizens. So the, the, the mobile network was used um, to transfer funds from the government to, the, to its citizens. We worked with the ministries of education to build teacher capacity and skills for online education. And we are currently working with local universities and other businesses to provide small to medium-sized enterprises and businesses with the tools to transform their brick and mortar business models to virtual models and help them maintain um, business continuity. So, so being staying very close to our customers and making sure that they were well equipped and educated and capable of using um, the digital uh, network and, and our digital highways was not only important for our business, but it's the backbone of economic recovery. And thank you for working so hard amidst this pandemic to, to ensure that you're furthering your mission and that we could all further ours as well. I always end the ESG beat by giving the guests a magic wand and a crystal ball. 
So let's start with a magic wand. And if you could wave your magic sustainability wand and direct how companies react to this pandemic, what are three pieces of advice you would give them? You know, we've learned very simple but very profound um, lessons. I think the first is, yes, we can. And the second is we can do more with less. And we have seen throughout this pandemic, while, you know, with all, you know, my heart goes out to families um, that are suffering the loss of, of family members and, and, and for those who are sick. But we are also seeing that we're highly adaptable and, and resilient and things that we thought would take a tremendous amount of resources and, and investment are happening overnight. We're banking the unbanked, we're connecting the unconnected, we're curbing carbon emissions, we're digitalizing and, and teaching people throughout you know, emerging markets from the urban to the rural markets on how to um, conduct their business online as well as how to teach online. So things that we thought were you know, five, 10 years from now are happening now. And so I think what, what you know, if, if I were to wear the, the magic wand, it would be like, let's, let's keep that spirit of yes, we can, and, and let's do more with less um, because it, it's achievable and, and we've proven that, that it's achievable. So now let's turn to the crystal ball. What are your predictions for the future? I know that it's really early days and it's, there are a lot of unknowns, but what do you think we'll learn from this? I think we're going to learn, um, as I mentioned before, that there is this yes, we can spirit, not just in the United States, but throughout the world. We've seen how um, this pandemic has drawn very significant parallels to climate change. We know climate change is is happening and that it's going to have very profound impacts on our way of life and 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 on our economies. So my my prediction is that if there is the right political will and structure that we will take leaps towards combating um, climate change. But even if that political will drags, companies are now in a position where they're going to do a lot better futures thinking, scenario planning, and resilience um, so that we can move to um, the transit towards the transitions um, that we need to, to move towards in, in, in the energy sector and curb um, carbon emissions and, and therefore protect our, ourselves and our planet from further destruction. Sylvia, thank you so much for taking the time to share your insights with us today and stay well. Thank you so much, Amelia. Really happy to do this. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG Beat with me today.